Now more than ever, we need to engage with difficult topics. Reach out to others. Listen to each other in a sea of uncertainty. Sit together with experiences we share and find common ground. These are the words of today's guest, whom we will meet in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. I am very pleased to introduce you to our guest, Christine Ristino, who is the author of All the Silent Spaces. It is a memoir. Christine, welcome to Mind Talk. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be here, Pamela. Now, Christine, tell us about September of 2007. Something happened to you that changed your life. Yes. So I was with my two children. They were three years old and five. And we were at a a store, and we were supposed to buy a new car seat. And we were walking into the the store, walking towards it, and my kids wanted, you know, one of those Cinderella princess carts that kids ride in. And and we couldn't find one. We had to look around a bit, but we finally found one in the parking lot. And then I started walking towards the store. Uh, The kids were low to the ground in the cart. And when we arrived at the sidewalk, my cart got stuck on the sidewalk. I couldn't get it up. And so there was a man sitting on a bench nearby and he stood up and he walked towards us and I figured he was going to help. And he grabbed onto the cart and I thanked him. And then his arm went smack into my nose and broke my nose immediately. Blood started pouring out of it. And I just, I don't know um, if you've experienced this before, but when something completely out of the ordinary happens that you don't expect, you're, it, it becomes surreal. You're not sure what's going on. And so I had no idea what was happening. I was still looking at him as though he was going to help us. I couldn't understand what had, you know, why I was bleeding. And, uh, he, and, and I could feel this real strange tug on my purse. And I just kept pulling it closer towards me. And, and there was a lot of pain involved because... He was trying to get my purse, but I I didn't understand it. So okay. uh, ultimately, by the end of that experience, I was lying on the ground with a, a concussion, a broken nose. Uh, I would have a black eye, uh, marks on my neck. And uh, and and he, I, I finally realized, you know, he wanted my purse and I let go of the purse and he ran off. Uh, I looked up and inches away from the cart my daughter was crying and uh, my son's eyes, my son was three, my daughter five were as, you know, larger than I had ever seen them before. And I realized um, that something had happened that was going to change us. And uh, it certainly did. It certainly changed us. It was the start of a a journey. I would have to say that uh, changed my life and theirs and not for the worst. I would have to say you know, it's it's interesting as you describe it because it 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 sounds like it just happened ten minutes ago. The the clarity with which you describe the events does it feel that way sometimes still? Sometimes it does. It's my son's first memory. So 
you know, it, it, and, and everything just, when that happened, everything slowed down. Um, it was almost as though I could feel everything that was happening. It was so memorable and, um, and so strange, so out of the ordinary. So it, it, at times it does feel like yesterday. And then at times it feels like a lifetime ago because I've changed so much as a result of this experience. And um, everything changed, my parenting, the way I viewed myself, um, my whole life trajectory. I've become very involved in social justice issues as a result. And I, I wasn't on that trajectory before. So um, it, it changed the way I interact with people. So in some ways, it was a lifetime ago. In some ways, it, it does feel like yesterday. You know, the the idea that your son's first memory is of his mom being assaulted is just so unnerving even to think about. Yeah, it is. A great effect on him. He started, you know, I saw the power that this man had in the situation, and he went to school and started right away that week hitting children, you know, and and, and he had never done that before. He was also um, terrified of everything so he ended up for years climbing into bed with my husband and me he couldn't sleep uh he he also for a while um the man who attacked us happened to be black and so he was afraid of black men for a very long time and those were discussions that that end up in my book but also um, discussions that challenged me as somebody who said, how can I have a son who's afraid of black men when, uh, you know, I am, I'm a social justice warrior. You know, I, I cannot, this, this can't be what, what is ha- happening in my life. You know, how when, when something sure. happens in your life that changes you and, and, um, I didn't want this to be a fear that I had. we had, a, we had to do a lot of, of talking. You, one, at one point in, in, in your book, early on, you say, I think I'm a racist. I'm worried we're becoming racist, I and my children. And, you know, that that's such an interesting perspective and such an interesting worry and a really sort of stunning statement. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, of course, is very natural when you're assaulted by someone to lump the entire group, whatever that group is, if you're insulted by a white woman, then you're afraid of all white women. If you're insulted by a black man, then all black men or a dog, and then it's all dogs. So, you know, right. the, the fact that you would have that fear, that he would have that fear, is a normal, natural human one. The fact that you would worry about what your reaction was to the fact that this man happened to be black. That's the piece I think that strikes me and will probably strike most readers so powerfully. You you knew what was being thought and you didn't want to think that way. Yeah. And in this book, it's interesting because the undercurrent of the book is, you know, one of the main topics is race. And it started out being a book about race. Um, people kept asking me the race of the attacker. And I would become furious with them. Like, how dare you ask that question? I couldn't understand why it was the first question that, that some people asked when I was standing there with a black eye and a broken nose 
in front of them. They wouldn't say, how are you and your kids? Um, they would say, you know, was he black or what was his race? And I would, I was shutting down conversations left and right because I really needed to talk, but people would step away, you know, right away. They'd, well, I'm not trying to be racist if that's what you're thinking. Um, because I didn't ask them why in a, in, you, you know, in a curious way because I was acting angry sure. uh, or getting angry right away, it shut down the conversation. And, and I actually had to change how I reacted to that question because I realized I'm, I'm, a, I'm from yeah. Massachusetts. There was, I'm from this Italian American town in Massachusetts. There weren't, there wasn't much diversity when I was growing up. And, um, I realized I knew nothing about race. You know, I, I knew nothing. And that I, you know, I thought maybe uh, as a result of this experience, I can learn something. And then it won't be, you know, all for nothing. It, it will, maybe I can use this as a, a moment that will teach me. So I started throwing caution to the wind and asking people questions that I wouldn't ask. I, I am a liberal Democrat. I was brought up by two very liberal parents. And I was afraid to ask any question that was difficult, you know, because I, I didn't want to offend people. And I started just throwing caution to the wind and asking these questions. And my community was really wonderful and it would answer the questions I asked. Christine, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we will continue, folks. My name is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk and Christine Ristano, author of All the Silent Spaces. We'll be back in a moment. You know what's interesting? Uh, there are so many things that are interesting about your response and the response of others to the assault, and that it would so immediately for others go to the question of race, which is a daily experience, an all-day daily experience for people of color. Anytime something happens, mm -hmm. you know, from from that perspective, the assumption is, and and the experience is. This person must be black. This person must be fill in the blanks. This person must be of some color. So it's not an unusual question for people of color to hear. But for you, it really mm -hmm. struck you as, why are you asking me about that? That's not important. What's important is what has happened to me and my children. Are we well? Do we need to go to the hospital? But all of a sudden, right. that, that took second place. It, it says a lot about the world in which we live, doesn't it? It sure does. It, I was so shocked by it. 
and I, you know, I said, I've got to figure out, figure this out. You know, why is this happening? Why are people asking me this question? Um, and, and this was just one man, you know, why does the experience with one man have to say something about a whole group of people? I, you know, I, I was quite naive as far as how the, the world might react to, to something like this. And, and I, I, I really set out to, to try to figure some things out or, or really to learn from the experience. And, but the experience, oh, yes. What was your husband's response to the fact of the assault? So he was very troubled. He wasn't there, first of all, when it happened. It was just my kids and I. And, and my my kids and I really shared this experience. It, it bonded us. It made us very, very close. And I think my husband felt a bit on the outside. Mm. You know, he he said he couldn't have protected anyone. He wasn't there. Um, he he didn't. I, I think he didn't understand what we were going through. But yet, it was a trauma for him as well. You know, his his whole family had been in this dangerous situation, and they were suffering. We were. My son couldn't sleep. My daughter was crying every night and drawing pictures of ambulances and, uh, and violence. And uh, I was terrified. So I, I think that my husband didn't know what to do. He felt disempowered. And he, he too, wanted to talk a bit about race. Um, he's, a, he's a teacher, a public school teacher. And I talk, there's one conversation my husband and I have in the book, and it's about the fact that you know, he's teaching a lot of, of kids and um, a lot of the African-American kids don't have a father listed in their com- contact information. Okay. And he was saying, you know, I, I want to talk about this. I, I want, um, I want to be there for their kids and I want to have conversations on this. But if I mention it, anybody but you, maybe I would be called a racist. And we talked a bit about that and his concern was more like he lost his father to drugs when he was three. And, uh, he had this, you know, this, this almost father figure. Um, I don't know if it was a complex or what it was, but it, that was something that struck him. Anybody who seemed to not have a father in, in their lives was something that he was grappling with because he was grappling with his own story, and um, and it bothered me as a liberal, um, as somebody, you know, it bothered me to even have that conversation. I was really bothered that my husband and I were having that conversation. Uh, I didn't know how to have a conversation like that, and um, so my husband's reaction was complex. And and I think everybody, you know, the the, the fact is that the world is complex. And we don't allow the world to be complex. There are either somebody's good and bad. Nobody's just, um, this is one of the, the things I want to, one of the messages I want to convey about my book, but uh, that we're so, you know, it's so easy to put people into categories. And we never see the layered uh, complexity of people and of life. And uh, people were always trying with, when, when I talked to them about my own situation um, to find some kind of good and bad paradigm and uh, with people or trying to classify people or understand my experiences 
in a, a kind of a like black and white fashion literally and, and you can't yeah literally yeah literally and figuratively exactly and and i would suggest and i'd like to hear your thought that that is even more the case today where people are encouraged almost to put anyone who appears to be an other no no matter what the other is into a box and in, and a very separate box yes absolutely yeah one of the the other pieces about uh, your story that really struck me, and it hadn't occurred to me before, um, you know, I, I've done a fair amount of work with victims of violence, domestic, sexual assault, stalking, harassment, mm-hmm. all of that. And, and I know that there are nowhere near enough resources, but that there are resources. And I was almost surprised to to learn in your experience you really couldn't find a place that you fit with your experiences uh you know getting comments like well did he was that the only time he hit you uh well you know are you afraid he'll come back it it, it was really striking well it it was interesting too because i uh, so I, the second part of my story is that um, I had been molested as a kid by a beloved person, you know, somebody that my whole family absolutely loved and was crazy about. Uh, he was very funny. He was a great cook. He was, you know, he made everybody laugh. He was always the center of attention. And then I was raped at 21. But I was so in denial about these first two events that when I went to look for help, you know, I was typing in attacked um I, I was i was looking for a group that i and my kids could go to for people who had been assaulted yeah and at a certain point i write you know there was no group for us uh there were there were groups for domestic violence there were right. groups for rape but there was no ordinary group for plain old assault well i fit into domestic violence and rape and i was so in denial about those two events that i couldn't even see it and um, what my exploration uh, did for me, because I would, I would have conversations that seemed to fit into the topic of my book. I'd give the conversation to the person I had it with. They would look at it and I would say, did I understand this correctly or was I totally off about it? And if it was something on uh, diversity, race, difference, um, sometimes I'd understand it, but sometimes I was way off and the person would say, no, no, you completely misunderstood this. Uh, Here's what I was really thinking. And I got to see all of these people who had experienced adversity. Some people had experienced racism. Some people had experienced death. Others had experienced violence. And they were so graceful and they could talk about it so easily. And they were stunning. Like they, and, and little by little, they got me to look at my own experiences with violence and I realized how much these two experiences had um had prevented me from being myself you know from hearing my own voice um and then the the book took on even even more meaning I thought it was about one thing but it was also about other things there there's a part and again this is very early on in uh, your book, All the Silent Spaces, where you say, and I quote, molested is the wrong word. Gives the impression you were being bothered at a cookout by a pesky fly. 
the word I would use instead is separated because something of this nature separates you from family, from friends, from feelings, from yourself. And what a powerful few lines that I, that I would suggest is true for so many people. Um, and again, it was something that I hadn't thought about in that way, um, but it really is a way in which you feel separated from the yeah. people around you. And then at some point you discover that sadly you're not so separated because it happens so many times to so many different people. So it's a real, I don't even know how to, how to describe it. It's such a almost out-of-body experience. My first experience at eight or nine, I'm not sure of exactly the age, but um, this was a person everybody loved, everybody you know, valued. Everybody talked about him in such a wonderful way. So I started doubting my own story. Could this have really happened? Not much, not of. And the more you do that, the more separated you are from yourself because you start denying your own truth everywhere. Like my truth wasn't important. Everybody right. upholding the story um, was more important than my own truth. And it became really easy to deny my truth in any circumstance. And, and I became a great mediator, but I had no voice in my life. And then it also separated me from people who did not know the story, but loved this man, because we've got the good, bad paradigm in our, in our culture. Yeah. This person couldn't have done it because he's so good. Right. You know, how could, and, and one of my, one of the things I really want to accomplish is that we change that paradigm that people who can do public good can also do private bad and that people are complex and they have many, many, many different layers. And I think if we start viewing um, violence in this way, that yes, people can do public good and private bad. So it's not a surprise. Um, you can do both. And, you know, I, I think that might make it easier for families to talk about and easier for survivors to come forward and say, this happened. I realize that you love this person. And yes, they've done great things in the past, but they did this. And it's really, um, really messed with me, you know, and, and, and because it is true that survivors, um, they're traumatized all over again when family doesn't believe them. Absolutely. And um, yeah, it's, it's a very hard thing. You're traumatized when you have to tell family. But I did find that by telling my immediate family, my whole place in the world shifted. I suddenly became, I suddenly had a voice. I suddenly felt my own truth deep inside. I knew what I felt about any given situation. I was able to vocalize um, my. And that's I've never been able to do that before. So Mm -hmm. And that is so powerful oh, so, to, to be able to find your own voice. It was stunning. It was, I, I can compare it to falling in love because I had never heard my own voice before. I didn't consult my, you know, I didn't look inside and, and see how I felt about anything. When I started realizing what I felt and how I felt and in any given situation, I was, acting in my own life as a player. And I, I was much more powerful. It, when I gave my own opinion, it was much better than mediating, you know, between two other people and trying to get them to get along. It was Indeed. much more powerful. 
<laughs> Christine, yeah. we're going to take a break, and we will be back in just a moment. Stay where you are, folks. I'm Pamela Brewer. This is my talk. One of the things that occurs to me about all the silent spaces is that it could be such a powerful text, if you will, and so many different kinds of classes or groups. I could see it in a psychology group, a, a group about a group group uh, class, a um, sociology class. It's just really such a stunning and encompassing read. And I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for producing such a wonderful, powerful document. Where can folks get more information about you, the work you're doing, all of that? Oh, thank you so much, Pamela. That, that means a lot to me. I, um, you can find more information at my website. It's www.christine with a C-H. And then Ristino, R-I-S-T-A-I-N-O dot com. Okay. And you can find all the information you need. Can you get, just give us the spelling one more time? Sure. So um, it's Christine with a C-H. So C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, Ristino, R-I-S-T-A-I-N-O. Dot com. Terrific. Christine, again, I want to thank you so much for the, the work and the heart and the spirit that you have put into the creation of all the silent spaces. Thank you so much, Pamela. It's been such an honor. And folks, I want to thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. You can always listen to Mind Talk on demand online at mynd.talk.org. And you can send an email to me at Pamela, P A M E L A, at mynd.talk. And I'd I just like to, before I completely say so long, I just want to share with you once again some of the words from Christine uh, Ristano, who is the author of All the Silent Spaces. Now, more than ever, we need to engage with difficult topics, reach out to others, listen 
to each other in a sea of uncertainty, sit together with experiences we share and find common ground. You will find the rest of this poem in all the silent spaces. Folks, again, thank you for joining us today. And always remember, if it's unacceptable, then that is exactly what it is, unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.